0: University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. Tough question to begin with. What's your favorite all-time Christmas movie? That's such a tough question for me to answer because there's so many brilliant movies to choose from, whether it be Home Alone, Elf, Love Actually, Gremlins, or Batman Returns. Technically speaking, Gremlins and Batman Returns do count as Christmas movies because they have Christmas scenes in them. And if you think about Gremlins, uh, Billy receives Gizmo as a Christmas present only to have him forget that he's not supposed to get them wet or feed them after a certain period of time, causing a chain reaction of evil gremlins to hatch. You know the Christmas story, come on. Okay, so let's shelve that debate for just a second. Let me tell you, my favorite Christmas movie of all time is Frank, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. I have so many fond memories connected to this movie, including watching it every Christmas Eve when I was growing up. You remember that classic, classic scene of that great miracle that happens for George Bailey in The Savings and Loan? Remember, George's uncle had accidentally misplaced thousands of dollars from the business, plunging George into a dire position to forfeit their business to that corrupt tycoon, Mr. Potter. This, of course, leads George to wish that he had never been born and sought to take his own life. In the end, the very people that George had been serving and caring for years produced a Christmas miracle redeeming the old savings and loan, preventing George from financial ruin. Every great Christmas movie has a miracle in it. Christmas Carol, The Grinch, The Polar Express, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. This is one of those years where all of us are hoping and praying for a miracle, aren't we? But if a miracle came, would we have faith to even believe in it? We're in our series, Noel, Hope for All Who've Experienced 2020. And this morning, we're going to navigate the part of the Christmas story that intersects crisis and faith. And for this, take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 38, or verse 18. A few weeks back, we looked at our story from the Gospel of Luke, in which an angel sent to Mary the news that she's not only pregnant, but that she's going to be bringing the Son of God into this world. Great news, right? except Mary was a 14-year-old virgin who was engaged to a guy in town named Joseph. In the same way that you can imagine the news of a 14-year-old becoming pregnant these days, imagine what it was like in the first century Palestine. So let's hear Joseph's side of the story here in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he made in his mind to divorce her quietly. I do love the gospel writers leave out the emotional reaction of Joseph in receiving this news. It leaves the door wide open for us to know either he was quietly sobbing or he was throwing furniture across the room or somewhere in between. What would you do if you were Joseph hearing this catastrophic news? Your fiancé was unfaithful and is pregnant. Like most men in a patriarchal first century society, he expected his fiancé to be pure and holy until their nuptials. The marriage would have been drawn up in a deed. An exchange of money would have been given to the groom, and after the proposal, Mary would then stay with her parents for another year. Then her groom, Joseph, would take her to his home. A wedding celebration would last for an entire week. Legally, the marriage would be sealed after the engagement. Joseph expected to wed Mary to produce a few children, to raise them up, to take up the family carpentry practice, and to live a blessed life. I'm pregnant, she said, but it's okay. It's God's child. What do you think you would think in that moment? I guarantee it wouldn't be some sort of elevated spiritual understanding. Oh, praise God, Mary. Most likely you would have been thinking somewhere along the lines, this lying and cheating woman, who was it, what's his name? And as Joseph is smashed in the face with this devastation of his expectations and hope, he would have had every right to drag Mary to the middle of Nazareth and with the people of their town stone her to death. This is what the law of Moses justified. And yet we learn something significant about Joseph. Instead of stoning her to death, instead of publicly humiliating her, Joseph planned to end the engagement quietly. Joseph chose the honorable and reasonable path. There's no reason he should have stayed with Mary. He could have cut ties, found another bride. That would have been the moral and self-controlled thing to do. Can we relate to Joseph? Life Seems to always throw conflict and unexpected circumstances in our way. Put 2020 to the side for a moment because we could take the next few hours to unpack all the conflict and unexpected circumstances of this year. But just think about all the ways in which life, people, work, relationships, decisions, and dreams that have not gone the way you wanted. I'll give you a second just to think about just the last week the last month, the last year. This is certainly a a year for families and couples to figure out the many challenges they were facing. Is there anything that hurts worse than being disappointed and hurt by those that you love the most? There is this ongoing frustration and conflicts that happen at work with coworkers that are just the most difficult people in the world, with that boss that has way too unrealistic expectations Or the people that work under you that can't seem to get their stuff in order, causing you to have a poor performance or not to meet your goals. For some, it's that news from the doctor that you didn't expect. Here you were thinking things were going to be fine, and now you've got this really uncertain and daunting path before you that seems medically unscalable. There's that ubiquitous cloud of depression that so many struggle with that overshadows everything in your life, relationships, work, basic functioning that robs you of your hope and your joy and your direction. Overworked, financial problems, overcommitment, undercommitment from others, the list goes on and on of the challenges that we face every single day. And then there's 2020, the pandemic, the election cycle, the social unrest, the systemic racism, the job loss. Then there are the inner relational conflicts that come out of all of these things with our family, our spouses, our children, our parents, our co-workers, our friends, and our neighbors. And when you're dealing with all of this, there's that same feeling that Joseph had to deal with. What will other people think? Seriously, poor poor Joseph, poor us. When unfair circumstances are plopped right at our feet, will people see that we are doing our best And we didn't choose this anyways. With all the human emotion that comes with all of these challenges, we have to make the best decision in the moment. How do we make those decisions? What guides us to deal with the circumstances of the best way possible? We often do not get to decide the circumstances we find ourselves, but we do our best anyways in deciding what to do with these circumstances. Or as the great wizard of Middle Earth put it, All we have to decide is to do with the times that have been given to us. So we decide what we should do, how we should react, how to best proceed, what's best for us, and then we take action. And this is exactly where Joseph is when verse 20 happens. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the, the Lord had said through the prophets, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Classic move, God. Ask a 14 year old engaged virgin to carry your son into the world and then come to her fiancé in a dream, dumping her rear end, only to tell him, have faith and believe that this is from God. There are other difficult circumstances in the Bible in which people had all sorts of other crazy dreams. Consider the first Joseph in Genesis' dream that he would rule over his brothers, and that didn't turn out so great because when he told his brothers about the dream, they sold him into slavery. Jacob learned through a dream that his father-in-law was trying to trick him into hard labor and marrying the wrong daughter. Daniel's dream about a horrid creature that served as a warning to the Babylonian king. This dream serves a very distinct purpose. You said, while Joseph had logically and honorably made up his mind on what he needed to do about Mary and what was best for him, God uses a dream to ask Joseph to consider what God wanted in this situation. We can spend our entire life facing difficult situations or circumstances, thinking about what we want and the best way for us to handle this. But the question I want us to consider is, do we ever consider what God wants? What God thinks is best? You see, this is a critical question of faith that we often miss, that we don't often ask. We were at the dinner table uh, the other night when my six-year-old looks at me and asks, Daddy, how do we know when God is talking to us? That's a really, really wonderful and difficult question. And rightly so, when assessing how to navigate difficult circumstances and decisions in our life, We want to do what's best based on our experience and wisdom, and rightly so, that perspective is often limited based on our experience and our wisdom. But what does God want? How do we know what God is calling us to do? And when we stop and think about such a task, figure out what God is doing and what God wants us to do, that can feel like a big and unsolvable puzzle. There's an anniversary that we can mark this year. It's been 45 years since the creation of the Rubik's Cube. Uh, Have you ever solved this puzzle before? I did. Um, Well, to be clear, I took the stickers off and put them in the right places so that it all matched up together. Apparently, that's not how you're supposed to do it, though. So mathematically, it's been determined that there are over, get this, Three quintillion ways to arrange the squares of a Rubik's Cube. More specifically, there are three quintillion, 250 quadrillion, three trillion, 274 billion, 489 million, 856 thousand ways to arrange the squares. But there is just one way in combination that solves it correctly. Guess what? I've never solved it. Doesn't it feel like that's faith sometimes? It feels like trying to figure out what God wants is like solving a Rubik's Cube. Such a thought can be overwhelming and debilitating, leading us to make easier decisions on what we or other people think is best. And how do we do that? The answer is simply complex. How do we really truly find out what God wants? Well, the answer is prayer. Joseph's dream was a metaphor of prayer, a conversation with God. Joseph didn't seek out the situation. He He was handling it in the best way that he would expect. But what made Joseph different was that he was receptive to God's word and God's plan through prayer. It's through Joseph's openness to speaking and hearing from God that God met the intersection of Joseph's plans and what God knew was best for all parties involved. And the invitation of faith in God is not to neglect what we think is best and our feeling, but to broaden our understanding of, of these things they matter in consideration in what God is doing and what God wants for us in circumstances. And, and, and we do not need to uh, interact with this text and with similar difficult circumstances in our life, believing that prayer doesn't come without pain and temptation. This is exactly where Joseph is when he jumped into his story, a place of humility and shame and anguish. Yet right there is where God met Joseph. And this is right where Joseph was open to God's voice. As the great Søren Kierkegaard put it, we know that seeking is never without pain and temptation. People of prayer Who love with their whole heart, it is not without anxiety that they venture into the conflict of prayer with their God. A genuine life of prayer seeks God in the best of times and the worst of times, because prayer is the place that we find healing for our suffering, hope in our anguish, direction in our darkness, and clarity in our fogginess. It's in our shame and humility and anguish and uncertainty that God meets us right where we are, with an ear to listen to the truth of our pain and uncertainty. And when we're ready to hear, God gives us a voice to speak truth into our lives. A few years back, I, I got really into this shopping app called Wish. Uh, I'm sure you've seen advertisement for it. The, the LA Lakers have it on their jerseys. They have some really cool and inexpensive stuff on there. And I got some really cool Chuck Taylor high-top shoes that had this synthetic lining for wintertime to keep your feet warm. I got a pair of polarized sunglasses, a slim-fit blazer, and some working resistance bands, these really cool wet wick superhero shirts. And I thought my only problem was the fact that it took time to ship from overseas to arrive. But when the products arrived, let me just say you get what you pay for yes these chuck taylor high tops with synthetic lining were only fifteen dollars which translated into foam soles that wore out after one time of wearing them yes this Greenlander under armor shirt only cost me five dollars except when it came in it was in the chinese size large which made me feel like i was wearing one of my children's shirts Then the slim fit blazer actually felt really great, except it was made of such thin fabric that you could see right through the blazer. You get what you pay for. A knocked off version of products doesn't make it genuine. And this is the problem often with many of our prayer lives. We're typically asking God to gift wrap the things that we've already purchased for ourselves. God, will you bless this thing that I want? Or want to do. But even if you don't, just know that I'm still probably going to do it anyways. Except genuine prayer is eye-opening and often contradictory to what we think is best. Prayer by design should be an honest and open dialogue with God about our expectations, our desires, our wants, and our dreams. It also should be a space like Joseph that we can air out our frustrations and disappointments. We should go to God in our anger, in our frustration, in our shame, in our humility. And it's in a genuine dialogue that sometimes our frustrations are met with equal frustration. Our shame is, is met with affirmation. Our disappointments met with mere disappointments. And yet at some times, when we enter into an, a genuine dialogue with God, we discover that our eyes are open to the possibilities that we didn't anticipate to see, or the expectations that contradict what we think is best. And this is the place that Joseph finds himself in an honest dialogue with God. We know what he wanted and what he thought was best, but through his conversation with God, Joseph was open to a greater possibility for himself, for Mary, for this baby, and for the world. As the great Thomas Merton put it, the problem with the life of prayer is in learning when one's efforts are enlightened and well-directed and when they spring simply from our confused whims and immature desires. But what do we do with prayer that opens our eyes to what we think is best and when it contradicts what God desires for us? This is the question that Joseph asks in his prayer dream with God. This is the question we must answer. What do we do with what God communicates to us in prayer. And the answer for Joseph is found in verse 24. It says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. When his fiancée, Joseph, heard that Mary was pregnant, Joseph intended to divorce her in private. This was the honorable, the right thing to do. But then God intersected Joseph with a prayerful dream in which God opened Joseph's eyes to the possibilities beyond what he had seen for himself, for Mary, for this baby, and for the world. And when Joseph awoke, we learn what the intersection of prayer and faith look like. Joseph moved beyond having his eyes open to things not seen or known, beyond the contradictions of his expectations to a place of profound faith. Joseph knew that God was faithful. He knew that God would lead him beyond the circumstances, these challenging circumstances he was facing. As one author put it, God's work and ways are for human beings out of reach. They lie in the inaccessible, consuming brightness. God's salvific deeds prove God's incomparability. Do we believe that God is faithful? Does our belief in God move us to trust in God's leadership to take us beyond the challenging circumstances we face in life? And can we discover what happens when we intersect prayer and faith? God was inviting Joseph beyond the immediate circumstances of public shaming and relational disgrace to see something beyond himself. And we learn from Joseph that faith moves us to look beyond what's best for our own best interest, and consider the interest of other people. And this is the type of faith that runs contrary to our consumer-driven religion in America that only desires to engage in what benefits me and what's comfortable for me. And on the surface, it's not unfair to ask what's in it for me, or what will happen to me if I do what God is asking. The problem is that many of us are stuck right there in a place of immovability because we don't like the answer that God gives us in genuine prayer. Can you imagine what would have happened if Joseph had gotten stuck on that question and God's answer? For one, we can guarantee that he would have divorced Mary in shame. Two, we know that the layer of protection that prevented Mary's shaming would have been removed. And third, with extra protection out of place, the town would have faithfully followed the law of Moses and stoned this poor girl to death. However, Joseph was willing to let his belief in God's leadership move him beyond what was in it for him in the short term by seeing the extraordinary opportunity and the role that he could play in the long term. Joseph was willing to have the greatest honor in history of being the adoptive father of Jesus because he saw beyond what was just in it for him. As one author put it, we ask God to enter into the deepest places of our cynicism, bitterness, and hardness, where we have stopped believing that tomorrow can be better than today. We open up, we soften up, we turn our hearts into the direction of that day, that day when the baby cries his first cry, and we, surrounded by the shepherds and angels and everyone in between, celebrate the sound and time that brings our spirits what we have been longing for. What crisis or circumstances are we facing in our lives that God is asking us to see beyond today, tomorrow, a month from now, to see that there is something better on the other side? And are we willing to believe and follow God's leadership? Going back to It's a Wonderful Life for just a moment, do you remember the circumstances in which the entire movie is based? George Bailey believed that everyone's life would have been better if he had never been born. And so he seeks to take his own life. And yet, as the story unfolds, as he relives the greatest moments of his life, George begins to see how intricately woven his life is with so many people. From his little brother, to the pharmacist that almost poisoned his customers, to hee-haw Sam Wainwright, to each, other, uh, each of those people that he had given money to out of the savings and loan for affordable loans that crooked Potter wouldn't. And when George realizes that his life has been an instrument of goodness and hope and opportunity for so many. And this is the most fascinatingly brilliant lesson from Joseph's story that we don't need to miss. Of all the lessons of faith that rise out of our scriptures, this story teaches us that God has faith in us. Consider that God entrusted a 14-year-old peasant to bring a son into this world. Along with a no-name carpenter as an adoptive father, God had great faith in Mary and Joseph. God has great faith in you. God believes in you. God believes that you will see for who God is, a God who desperately loves you and desperately wants to lead you in a life journey. As God entrusted Mary and Joseph with the most wonderful feat of faith, God trusts in you to become the person that God created you to be and to allow your life to make a difference to the people you know in this world. And like Mary and Joseph, we can feel so small and insignificant, and yet God's strength within us challenges the world and challenges us to reconsider that we might choose love amid hatred, joy among hopelessness, compassion amid cynicism peace among violence justice amid inequality light among darkness god believes in you that you can be a part of bringing joy into the lives that are broken God believes in you that you can live your life transformed by the truth that God has delivered you from the chains of brokenness. God believes in you that you can proclaim the message of good news to all that you encounter. God believes in you that you can play a significant part in this world. One of the greatest gifts of Christmas is faith. It's the gift of faith within us and sent forth from God to us. Can you come to believe and follow the God that entered into human history in such a way? And can you come to see that God believes in you? As we turn our attention to the Advent candle this morning, we light the candle of faith this morning, remembering that not only is Advent an invitation. Advent is not only an invitation to believe in God, to believe in the promises of the manger, but Advent is an invitation to see that God, in fact, believes in us. I invite you this morning.